seated. Thank you. If I could, I'd have you open your Bibles to James chapter 3 this morning. James chapter 3, as we are walking piece by piece through this letter uh, that James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote. Uh, this very practical letter of what a Christian life should look like and how one should live for Jesus. And in James chapter 3, we come to one of, to be honest with you, when I became a Christian, this is one of the first sections of the Bible that I actually learned. Um, And the reason wasn't because I have a great mind. The reason is because one of my favorite Christian groups at the time sang a song that included these lyrics, their lyrics were James chapter 3. It was a, a group, if I'm going way back to the 90s now, a group called Third Day. Anybody, anybody in the room know who that is? Okay, I see three people. That is awesome. That means this is really going to apply really well. But, when, okay, so I got saved in college, so I was going to listen to Christian rock. And Third Day had a song about James 3, and so I actually learned James 3 because in the middle of the song, they quote it. Just so you know, music is a very good way to learn Scripture because it sticks. Boy, I could sing it to you right now if I had to. You don't want that, but I could if I had to. But I remember this from being an early Christian from when I was just saved, and so this text has a lot of uh, importance for me, and it, it reminds me a lot of what God's brought me through in the last however many years it's been. But in James chapter 3, we find the truth that the tongue is the toughest thing to control. (laughs) Some of you already know. James chapter 3 is going to tell us what that looks like. So James chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. Uh, I'm going to have you do your church aerobics one more time. I'm going to have you stand once more just for the reading of God's word because we love it and we want to honor the reading of God's word. James chapter 3 starting in verse 1 going to verse 12. Here's what James writes. He says in verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things." How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're going to need your help. We need you to teach us today. We need you to guide us in the truth. God, we need you to help us to understand these verses. 
God, to understand the truth of what you're uh, sharing with us. And Father, I pray more than anything, what we'll see is our desperate need for Christ, that he is the one who rescues us, not only our hearts, but also our actions. So Father, receive glory today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated for just a moment. In James chapter 3, we are going to see a test case of what we've already been talking about. If you remember in James chapter 2, when we looked at James chapter 2, we saw the fact, especially last week, that works are tied to our rescue, that works are tied to justification because works display the genuineness of faith. That Works are not the basis of your faith, but they display the genuineness of your faith. That basically James says that the idea that someone would call themselves a Christian, but would have no fruit of that, is ridiculous. A true believer in Jesus will have fruit displayed that the world can see. And James chapter 2 talks about how that fruit looks and how it shows the genuineness of faith. Now what he's going to do in chapter 3 is to give you a concrete example. Um, one, of my fa- one, of my, one of my favorite preachers who I've heard preach on many occasions, his name is Ligon Duncan. He is in Jackson, Mississippi. Yes, he is a Presbyterian, but he's still a solid guy. He said this. He said that James chapter 3 is a test case of how Christianity impacts a person's life. If you wanted to see a test case of it, James chapter 3 is one of those. And in James chapter 3, James embarks on a discussion about the seriousness of the tongue and illustrations of the tongue's power. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. One of the things he confronts right from the beginning is that there was a deep desire among many to be teachers. And he says, be careful that you want to be a teacher of God. Because a teacher will be judged with a greater strictness than others. Okay, so I'm not going to get into the whole levels of judgment when it comes to standing before God. But I am going to say that God's word definitively tells us that leaders in, of God's people will be judged with a stricter standard. Now what exactly that looks like, I don't know. All I know is James pulls that out and says, Not many of you should desire to be teachers because understand, teachers are going to be judged by a stricter judgment. See, a lot of times people would pursue being teachers so that they could have the notoriety of being a teacher, so that their name could be made great. But what he's cautioning them is, don't pursue that. In fact, he says, not many of you should become teachers. That is a word that basically means stop becoming teachers. It's actually a warning, a caution. And he says that not many of them should want to be teachers because they will be judged with greater strictness. And then he gives the explanation behind that. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle his whole body. So basically, when when James is speaking to us about the power of the tongue, he tells us that if you were able to get control over your speech... You would show yourself to be a perfect man. What's he emphasizing to us? The power of this. Remember earlier in James chapter 1, he talked about the fact that Christians were to be slow to speak and quick to, right? Why? Because the hardest thing to control 
is this thing. So much comes out of it that is painful, and so much comes out of it that can destroy. He's cautioning that if we could actually get control of this, we would show ourselves to be a perfect man. Now, theologians differ from what he means by perfect. The word can be translated different ways. Some believe this is talking about the fact that you will never be able to fully control this. Hence, you will never be fully perfect in this life. There was only one who had perfect control over this. His name was Jesus. Okay? That's true. But others see that this word used for, uh, this word that's used here uh, is actually a word that can, not, can mean not perfect as in never faulting, but it's a word that can also mean mature. And so one who can control his tongue or his speech is one who demonstrates he is mature in his faith. Does that make sense? I tend to lean that direction, although it is true that we will never fully tame this in this life. And yet, we can live and demonstrate that we are mature in faith by how we handle it here in this life. And he also says, by the way, if you could control this, this would actually help you to control the rest. Because what comes out of here, I'm getting ahead of myself. All right, I'll go ahead and share it with you. Right? The tongue reveals the heart. And when you can control this, you demonstrate that God has gotten a hold of this. All right, Jim gets it. So Jim gets to leave early. Have a good day, Jim. Um, he gets to go to lunch. No, get back here. Come back here. I didn't really mean it. All right. But tongue reveals what comes out of here reveals what's in here. And if you could perfectly, if you could, if you could control this, you could demonstrate that the heart that is, from which it's flowing from, is mature. You can show that it has been changed. Remember James chapter 2, he talked about the fact that works were a display of genuineness of faith. Guess what control of the tongue demonstrates? Genuineness of faith. Genuineness of salvation, right? When you can control this, you are demonstrating a, a, a genuineness of the changed heart that God has brought he, and then he's going to give you uh, some examples, and these are examples that, you know, today I wouldn't be, you know, I haven't dealt with a lot of these things, and so these are, these are illustrations that really made an impact back then, and I think can still make an impact on us today, to show us that the tongue reveals the heart. And we, he gives us some beautiful illustrations of this. And I want to share this quote with you before we do these illustrations. Thomas Brooks said, we know metals by their tinkling and men by their talking. So what does that look like? I want to show you illustration number one. He tells us in verse three, he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So the first illustration he gives of the power of the tongue and the ability to control can y'all see that? All right. It's disgusting, by the way. You look at this too long. But the picture he's giving you is that controlling this leads to control over the rest of the body. Right? Because he says, if you put a bit into the mouth 
and you, you, you're able to then steer. This is all theoretical to me. I have not had this before. I have, I, I've not dealt with horses. I know you're shocked by that. I haven't dealt with horses. But I, from what I understand, if you put a bit into their mouth, you can actually steer. Which is, is it proper to call it steering? Okay, just want to make sure. I don't want to find a, I feel like I'm talking about a car. Um, but basically, you use it in order to guide the horse the direction you want the horse to go. And from what I understand, some horses can be quite large animals. Am I wrong on that? They'd be pretty, at least bigger than me. And, and if I'm going to have any power to control an animal that is that big, guess what? You can use a bit in the mouth to control and to guide. Now think about how big a horse is and think about how small the bit is. And yet, by that bit, you can control. You see the illustration? The tongue, compared to the rest of the body, is a small member. And yet, this can control this. Not a small deal. Second illustration, just because that one kind of, I'm not as familiar with that, all right? Number two. He says, verse four, look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by so strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now, I understand this is not a picture from the first century. So don't say, Jason, that's not what boats looked like back then. I get it. I couldn't find a good first century representation. So I'm giving you a common day one. Have you seen some of the boats and ships that people have built these days? Anybody been on a cruise recently? Anybody ever been on one? They're big, right? These things are massive. They're like floating cities. And yet, if you were to look at the structure of the boat, the thing used to turn it is very small in relation to the rest of it. That off of this small rudder, you can actually change the course of a massive ship. I'm big on the Titanic stuff. I've watched like every documentary ever made on it. I'm just fascinated by it. I don't know why. But when they looked at the wreckage of that ship, and you look at how small the rudders are compared to the size of the overall ship, it's amazing. That such a small thing could change the course of such a mammoth-sized uh, vessel. Now think in their day. In first century, they had different sized ships and different sized boats. And even the largest boats and ships that they had were controlled by small rudders in the back. That a small little rudder could actually change the entire course of their direction. James is saying the tongue is like that for the body. And if you could control this, you could guide and control the rest. What a small member the tongue is, and yet how much power it wields. He says, verse 5, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Oh, it boasts, all right. Tells us how great we are. All the things, right? embellishing, exaggeration. Anybody ever heard those exaggerated stories where the fish just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger? The tongue boasts great things. And yet, it is so dangerous a weapon. Because after he gets done telling us these two examples of how the tongue can be central and is central for growth as a Christian, he then gives us the negative. And he gives us the great potential harm. 
So first, the tongue can be very powerful for your growth as a Christian because to control this is to control the entire course of one's life. But the negative side of that is the tongue can also be of such great harm that it must be warned of. And he says in verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Listen, the parts of California right now are dealing with wildfires. Um, Hearts just got back from seeing some beautiful forest, an area like that. And many times they go through real deep problems and struggles with forest fires that actually can just ravage entire parts uh, of an entire landscape. And many times, you know what you hear at the end of it? They'll say, well, it looks like it was started by, you know, a cigarette butt that was thrown out the window or just a campfire that wasn't put out. And now all of a sudden, you see that an entire forest has been damaged because of one small little spark that lit the whole thing. James wants us to understand that this tongue is so powerful that what comes out of it can be just as destructive as this. And it doesn't take much. A small spark can set the whole thing ablaze. See, the problem is God gave us speech so that we might glorify him. That out of our mouth would flow a praise for God unrivaled. And sometimes it does. But sometimes out of this instrument that God gave us for his glory comes the most vile, destructive what James goes on to call poison. See, the way we use our speech can both heal and comfort and destroy and kill. And he says this small spark can set a whole forest ablaze. A.T. Robertson said this. He said the tongue can soothe the dying or damn the living. The tongue can sing like a songbird. Or growl like a lion. Oh, see, the, out of one moment coming out of this, this instrument given by God for his glory can come sweet singing and praise and, and glory to God. in the very next moment, vile hatred for another, prejudice talk, division, anger, all of it can flow. And that can be as damaging as a fire ablaze in a forest. See, the tongue is a great gift of God to be used for his glory, but so often we as people use it for evil. Well, guess what? Christians in the room, that should not mark us. As Christians in the room, the way we use our tongue should be in a way that shows the world that this is a gift of God to be used for the glory of God. Not just speaking his praises, but also speaking comfort and compassion onto those who are created in the image of God. Not just that sweet, sweetness would come out for our friends and our family, but for those who hate us, those who despise us. That out of this instrument should come sweet praise of God and also the building up of others. Because notice how he defines it. He says the tongue is a fire, verse 6, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Do you notice what James says about when the tongue is used to destroy, when the tongue is used as a weapon, guess what the source of that is? It isn't God. 
says it's satanic. That a, t- a speech used to destroy shows its origin to be Satan himself. Set on fire by hell. We can't just say, oops. It is the idea that it can be so damaging and it can set fire to every other area of our lives. It is a world of unrighteousness. It seems to be that there are so many sins that can flow out of how we use our tongues. What are some of those? If I asked you to define what are some of the, what are some what's some of the evil that can come out of here? What would you say? Say that again? Lies. Criticism. Profanity. Is that it? Vulgarity? Gossip? Is that it? Say that. Criticism? Blasphemy? Any others you can think of that flow out of here? False witness? Lord's name in vain? Condemnation? Mm-hmm. Lies? Prejudice? Deceit? Wrath? I mean, think about it. Out of this mouth can flow all types of hypocrisy, jealousies, anger, violence. The instrument given by God to praise his name and to glorify him forever and to bring compassion and to bring comfort to those who are in desperate need of it can actually be used to rip families apart, to destroy churches, and to set afire communities. And we as Christians can sometimes be part of the problem instead of the solution. We can be found just as hateful and as bitter and as angry and as poisonous as the world we live in. And if you need to be reminded of that, I'd ask you to spend about 10 minutes on Twitter or on Facebook or on YouTube, and you will find that there is a rampant issue with this. Just because you type it on a keyboard doesn't mean it didn't come out like you said it. And we need to understand how we can rip lives apart off of this, how we can destroy our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Because look who he's talking to. Who's James talking to? Christians, right? Because he says, my brothers. Notice notice James even includes himself in it. Verse 2, he said, for we all stumble. James says, I'm not not counting myself out of this. He says, I'm part of this. Listen, y'all, I'm not counting myself out of this. I'm in this with you. This can be the most dangerous weapon I can wield. And it can be filled with deadly poison. And my 
genuineness of my belief in Jesus and faith in him is going to be demonstrated by how I use this. So it matters, right? This is a test case on James chapter 2. That works display your genuineness of belief in Jesus Christ. He says, if you want to see a forefront on that example, look at the way you use your mouth. The speech that comes out, it demonstrates the genuineness of your faith. And oh, Christians should be the, the leaders in building up and in preaching the good news of Christ and the love of God. And notice what he says. We're going to need his help. You look in verse 7. He says, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed or has been tamed by mankind. That gives me pictures of Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve were called to exercise dominion over creation and over the animals. He says, man, we've learned how to tame all kinds of animals, haven't we? People got pets that you would never have thought would be a pet. And we're able to tame all these different types of animals he says in verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is, <laughs> it is the last untamable force that God is dedicated to root, uh, rooting out, that God is intending to tame in Jesus Christ. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. You've got to be on guard constantly because it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So if verse 8 is true, that no man can tame the tongue, then why does James even bring it up if we can't do anything about it? Well, what he's saying is no man can tame his tongue by his own power. You are not going to be able, apart from God, to ever tame the speech that comes out of here. Apart from God, apart from the work of God through Jesus Christ, this will remain full of poison. Even if we have good moments where we do bless people with it, it will be an exception, not the rule. Remember, because what comes out of the, what comes out of the mouth reveals the heart, right? The tongue reveals the heart. And only Christians can demonstrate by the way they speak, only they can demonstrate the changed heart that God brings through Jesus Christ. But you better believe that if we're Christians, we better be displaying that changed heart. There's no room for the deadly poison that once filled our mouths to still be a part of our lives. While we can't tame the tongue, while it's a restless evil for us, God is the one who tames it. God is the one who cleanses. God is the one who changes our hearts so that our speech can mirror the glory of God and reflect him. And so while it's a restless evil apart from God in Jesus Christ, like a bit in the mouth of horses or a rudder on a ship, God is able by his Spirit's work to use our tongue to guide our righteousness in Jesus. Because it's out of that changed heart that beautiful blessing and glory of God flows. Notice James in verse 9 is still using the word we, so he's including himself. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these ought not to be so. No Christian should be able to say, well, this is just part of life, and then we have to deal with it. That, that speech that would praise God would flow out of the same mouth that 10 minutes later would curse 
another person, especially a brother or sister in Christ. He says this is in this is incompatible with what it means to be a Christian. Notice the illustrations he uses after this. The fact that speech that flows out of a mouth that can both praise God and curse men is like saying that out of the same spring could come salt and fresh water. No. It's going to produce one or the other. Why? Because of the source. And the only way that praise can flow out of this mouth for the glory of God is because of the source, the heart change that God has brought that allows us to be able to glorify his name like we never have apart from Jesus. And so we need God to rescue our hearts so that our speech would show forth the glory of God. But, but understand, you can't by your mouth save yourself. You can't clean up the words that come out and hope that will make you right before God. Only a changed heart can produce this type of speech, the one that blesses God and glorifies him and comforts and, and, and seeks the best for those around them. May Christians not be found with blessing and cursing coming from the same place. The same fountain doesn't put forth fresh and salt water at the same time. By the way, they would know this. They had the Dead Sea around. They would have known the difference between waters. You ever heard the illustration used in the scriptures about bad fruit and good fruit? Does a good, fruit produ does a good tree produce bad fruit and can a bad tree produce good fruit? The idea is that what is displayed will show you, reveal to you what is inside. And James is saying in James chapter 3, what flows out of our mouths is revealing what God has done in here. And Christians should be marked by a tongue that gives him glory and that preaches the good news of Christ. Our words matter. They can be used for good or they can be used to destroy. And our words need to be brought in submission to Christ. And I'm speaking of me first. Because God has given us new hearts that can actually love him and glorify him with everything we have. And if we can control this, we show ourselves to be mature believers in Jesus. But if this is not in control, guess what we reveal? Something's amiss. Something's off. The mouth, the tongue reveals the heart. And then I want to leave you with this quote by J.C. Ryle. He says, our words are evidence of the state of our hearts as surely as the taste of water is an evidence of the state of the spring. You can tell whether water is foul or not. And when you drink foul water, what does that tell you about the source of that water? It's foul too. The same is true of our words. Our words are evidence of the state of our hearts. And so what I want to encourage us this morning to do is to take seriously what we say and how we use the instrument God has given us for his glory. 
And this morning, my hope is that we find is that we as Christians are leading the way in using our speech, using our words, not to tear down, not to condemn and destroy, but instead to preach good news and to glorify the God of all creation who has changed our hearts and given us the ability to use this for his glory now. That we as a church, we as Christians, might in our community be found not talking about who we hate, but who we love. We as Christians get to lead the way on demonstrating what God can do in a human heart. Listen, folks. Uh, I don't know if my girls know this or not. I think they do. You're about to find out. In, um, in high school, in high school, I, ha- I was known by my friends as having the filthiest mouth of everybody in the group. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm proud of that. I'm just saying it's true. I remember playing basketball. We'd play basketball together after school when I was like a junior or senior in high school. We'd go to a church that had a gymnasium. They would let us go in and play basketball, and we'd go in and play. And just so you know, I had to be corrected by my non-Christian friends I wasn't a Christian. They weren't either. And yet they were correcting me because they said, bro, you can't talk like that. You know how bad you got to be that people who don't love Jesus will correct you on what you're doing with this? I was offending them and they didn't even believe in God. What comes out of here reveals what's in here. And I'm so, listen, I'm not saying I'm perfect, y'all. But I'm saying God has done a work in my heart. And I'm assuming that if you're a Christian in this room, he's done a work in yours too. And maybe this is still a struggle. Maybe this is still wielded too often as a weapon. If it is, there's grace found in Jesus There is forgiveness found in him, and there is an appeal that can be made that through Christ, we might be able to use this not for selfish gain or for boasting or for putting other people down or for destroying, but it can actually be used to glorify the king of kings. I find it highly ironic that the mouth that used to spill out blasphemy and curses is now the mouth God has given me to preach the good news of Christ. Until he returns. God can do that for all of us. And if you're a Christian, he already has. Let this reveal the genuineness of your new heart in God. But understand, you must be saved. You must be in Jesus. Or this doesn't apply. James is writing to Christians. He's saying, Can salt and fresh water come out of the same source? No. The speech reveals the genuineness of a changed heart. Oh, that we in this room would be marked by a genuine love of Jesus that demonstrates itself in blessing and gospel proclamation and the good news of Jesus and the glory of God. Oh, that that might mark us as Christians. I believe. 
people would take notice. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I love you, and I thank you for this truth. And God, it's a truth I need to hear. Because God, so often I can use my own words as a weapon against other people. And God, I can use my own words as a way of trying to build myself up or make myself look good. I can use my words to destroy other people who I don't agree with. God, I pray that you would help me to see that my mouth and the speech I have should display the genuineness and the glory of what Christ has done in my heart. And Father, I pray that for every person in the room. God, you tell us in James chapter 3, God, you tell us this is a difficult beast to tame. This is the hardest thing to control. And Father, but you tell us we can do it. And that when we control our tongues, we are demonstrating a maturity of faith. Father, I pray today that you would help us as Christians to realize that the mouth you've given us should not pour forth praise and cursing, but God, it should pour forth life-giving joy. God, it should pour forth the, the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It should pour forth the glory that is yours. And Father, I pray that we as Christians will be marked not by filthiness coming out of our mouths or gossip or destruction, but God, our mouths would demonstrate a great compassion and a desire to see people saved and trusting in you. So God, work in us, help us through your Spirit's power, help us to speak so that you might receive more glory and that others would hear the good news of Christ. And Father, also help everyone in the room to see that the way we talk doesn't save us. It demonstrates whether we are saved or not. And so, Father, let no one in this room mistake that somehow if they just cleaned up their mouth and cleaned up their talk, that that would somehow make them right with you. God, the only thing that makes us right with you is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His life, death, and resurrection is the only thing that rescues us. May we put our trust in him, not in our own efforts to control our tongues. But God, when we have trusted in him, may our mouths pour forth speech that demonstrates a love for you and a love for the people you've created. God, we ask you to do this so that you might receive more glory, more honor, and more praise. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.